0: they had made their way to find the Lord Jesus and to come seeking him and most likely to repeat those things. And this verse 26, just prior to our text, uh, you'll see again the Lord rebuking them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat all of the loaves that were filled. They were interested in the Lord Jesus for the wrong reasons. They sought him, not for himself, but for the gain. Here's a word for all hypocrites, for all who are into religion or Christianity or even the gospel, for what they can get out of it in this world. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. I trust you'll stay with us right through to the end as we come to our little excerpt on righteousness exalted the nation on abortion. Science tells us very clearly that life takes place at conception. As soon as there is the fertilization of the egg by the meal sperm... There is that union for life. That is the critical moment of conception and the commencement of life. There is no other point on the spectrum of human gestation where life can be formed. Yet, however, abortion takes place continually, irregardless to that scientific fact The Bible also, of course, tells us that God uh, sees that substance as it is forming in the womb. There is no point that it is not a human, that it is not the purpose of God to create that human person, male or female, and to deny uh, life commencing at conception is contrary to both science and the Bible. And I trust you'll stay tuned with us as we look at that at the end of the program here today. The message we're looking at is on John six twenty seven, satisfaction in Christ. The Lord Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him have God the Father sealed. Oh, the satisfaction that is in the Lord Jesus. I wonder, are you a satisfied Christian? Do you know someone who is a satisfied Christian? They have a spirit of contentment. They know that they're saved. They have the absolute assurance of eternal life, and they are drawing their everything from the Lord as a branch from the vine. Well, stay tuned today as we look at this message from our pulpit on Satisfaction in Christ. Back to John chapter 6 again, and I want to preach to you today on the topic of the satisfaction that is in Christ and in the Christian life. We sing about it, we pray about it, and we often refer to it in preaching from time to time, like last week, when I preached on, Come unto me, all ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I talked a little about the rest that we have in the Lord. And we dealt then, of course, with being linked up to the Lord by faith, and of how his yoke was easy, his burden was light. And we talked at least in general terms on that. But today I want to be a little more specific. What does it mean when we talk about being satisfied in knowing and in living for and enjoying the Lord Jesus. Now, I have chosen this chapter 6 of John because it is the the chapter where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, immediately when you think of bread and food, it equates with satisfaction. We think of the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and how after they took up the 12 baskets filled with the the leftovers, it meant that the whole crowd was satisfied. There ought not to have been a hungry person on that mountainside where the Lord was ministering. And it was for that bread, that food, that many followed the Lord and continued after him. They took an interest in Jesus because of that miracle, and no doubt it made a very big impression on them. What? Feeding that crowd with a little lunch and multiplying the food so that they were so well fed. Now, I want you today to start thinking about the soul satisfaction that the gospel of Christ brings. And I want to hone in on the verse, the text 27 in John chapter 6, where the Lord Jesus said, "'Labor not, for the meat—' That perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now I think this verse ought to stir our hearts to ponder this subject of soul satisfaction. Labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for that which endureth. To everlasting life. Uh, we know how one good meal so satisfies, for, for such a short time. It's not long after supper time until those teenagers are looking at the cookie tin. It's not long after that big meal that we feel peckish again. And of course, these people who had eaten of the bread and the fish, uh, they would need to be refed very quickly again. Even the next day, they would be looking perhaps for a repeat and to be fed in the, the same way. But in this text, the Lord Jesus dealt with what really was the wrong question, but it got on to the right topic, because the Lord rebuked them about seeking meat that only perishes. And it's that rebuke or the wrong focus that we want to begin with here today— We're told here, labor not for the meat that perish. I I want you to see here the reason for this rebuke. And the Lord was speaking to many that had witnessed and enjoyed the food of the miracle, and over land and sea, and with great effort, they had made their way to find the Lord Jesus and to come seeking Him and most likely to repeat those things. And this verse 26, just prior to our text, uh, you'll see again the Lord rebuking them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat all of the loaves that were filled. They were interested in the Lord Jesus for the wrong reasons. They sought him, not for himself, but for the game. Here's a word for all hypocrites, for all who are into religion or Christianity or even the gospel, for what they can get out of it in this world. And the Lord brings this rebuke to them. These people who were asking these questions were obviously very shallow in their thinking— And they would soon be hungry again. And we need to learn that if we're going to really enter into that enduring satisfaction that is in the Lord, we ought not to be looking for earthly gain, earthly comforts, earthly prosperity, but rather we must labor about our souls. And that's really going to be a very important thing here. The reasoning is, in the rebuke, because it's temporary. It just lasts a little while. Labor not for the meat that perisheth. Everything that has to do with the body, with the material, that is temporary. The other reason for the rebuke was it was hard. He said, labor not for the meat that perisheth. And however you cut it, labor— means a lot of effort. And they made tremendous effort to get from that hillside to follow the Lord uh, over land and sea, because the Lord had uh, gone by boat and so on. And they made tremendous effort that they might get to this place to be with him. And the meat that perisheth, it demands a lot of us. The world is a hard road, The things of materialism demand so much of us. Those that are seeking gain and prosperity in this world, they literally kill themselves that they might gain a little more of this world. There are people that work themselves into ill health, people that bring on an early grieve because they have labored even for these things that perisheth. Another part of the reasoning is that all this stuff is empty. It perisheth. It comes to nothing. And there are many who have labored and labored for the the gain of this world, the material things of this world, and they come up at the end of life empty. In latter life, they have nothing. Just because we hear of some millionaires and billionaires, they're the minority. And even they can be very empty. It's very lonely and shallow, because they have given their total lives, their total energy and effort to the meat that perisheth while neglecting their own souls. Job got it right. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. We are going to take nothing of this world beyond the grave. There are no pockets in shrouds. We will have none of this world to our account in the world to come. And death, of course, is the great leveler. Whether you're a pauper or a king, whether you are a low class citizen or whether you are an achiever in the political ruling rulers of the world, death levels us all. At best, we end up with a real estate of six by three, and it's over in this world. And then as the rich man learned, Luke 16, the rich man, the man that fared sumptuously all of his days, the man who was clothed with honor and dignity and looked upon as the achiever of this world, he died opening his eyes in torments. Jesus warns, labor not for the meat that perisheth. And as I look at this text, and I want to really dig into this text more and more here, I cannot pass over the rebuke, the warning which the Lord gives to all of us. And those verses I read earlier in the, in the service, be not anxious about the morrow, there are multitudes of people who fret themselves to an early grieve over the morrow. You are a Christian. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus. He said, think not of the morrow. The morrow shall take care of itself. Your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. And we must take to heart this rebuke, this warning and cease from those things. What are we to do then? Well, here in this text, you have the Lord's redirection. You have the right focus, but rather labor for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. And a right test for life, a life that is well worth living, is its endurance. The meat which endureth unto everlasting life. On Wednesday evening at our prayer meeting, I spoke a little about the Christian and time, and we talked about a life well spent, and learned that a life well spent is made up of days that are well spent, and days that are well spent are made up of hours that are well spent. You can't talk about a life well spent unless you look at the actual day. You can't talk about the day unless you ask, what am I doing with my time? And of course, the big question is, with what I'm doing, will it abide? Will it endure? And you could be the busiest and seemingly most productive person around, but if it's perishable, won't abide, then it's all for naught. The crazes and the vices of this world, we know, will not endure. The money of this world will pass away. And, of course, we know that this world will burn up, no matter what we build in this world will perish. So the right life, the right life, laboring for the meat that endureth, it's worth living with earnestness. Did you notice something in this text? that the energy and the effort that the worldly mind puts into material things, the same effort and energy, labor, we are to put into spiritual things, into the soul, into the gospel, into the things that count for heaven, storing up treasure in heaven. We are to labor in that way. That's the word of the Lord and we are to give ourselves. We are to be adamant and busy and energetic and determined that we are going to get the spiritual riches that are truly found in the Savior. So few do this. So many professing Christians are very careless about their souls, if they ran their business the way they run their soul, they would be bankrupt in a short time. The lack of discipline, the lack of zeal, the lack of setting a goal and say, I must strive to do that which will better my soul and make me a good disciple of Christ. There, it's as if it doesn't matter. And yet the Lord is saying these are the things that do matter and will endure and are eternal, and they will count in heaven. And so this is a redirection for us. Now, the right and the only person who can satisfy the soul is described for us right here in this text. We're told, but for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. There's only one person who can feed your soul, only one who can satisfy your soul. He is described here as the true bread that came down from heaven. And he said categorically, I am the bread of life. And he is the one who brings satisfaction to the soul. Now, if you look at the text. I want you to look at the last word in verse 27, the very last word. The Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. That word sealed is same as stamped. He is the one that God has approved, appointed. Every blessing, every benefit, every spiritual gain for the soul— is now approved and received through the grace of the Lord Jesus. There's no other way. And it is through the person, the work, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive food for your soul or satisfaction for your soul. Now, I looked at this and I wondered, how am I going to preach this? How can I bring myself and bring others to grasp and take a hold upon the way in which the Lord Jesus feeds, nourishes, and satisfies the heart of the believer. Well, in Christian doctrine, there is an emphasis upon the threefold offices of the Lord Jesus— It's a part of his work as the covenant Savior-redeemer. And those threefold offices are prophet, priest, and king. Now, in the Old Testament, each of those offices were individual. There were men who were prophets, there were men who were priests, and there were men who were kings. In the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus and in his work as redeemer All of those three offices come together in the one person of Jesus Christ. Him hath the Father sealed, and he hath made him to be to his people prophet to teach, priest to pray, and king to rule. This today will be a little introduction. Maybe, maybe, if the Lord leads… I will take these three offices in the weeks to come and try and open them up and preach them a little uh, with more development. But I at least want to endeavor to introduce you to what the Lord Jesus is doing for your soul. You see, as the Savior who has given the work of redeeming your soul, He is active. He is actively working as your prophet, priest, and king. This is a work that is ascribed to the days of his humiliation. He was prophet then. He was priest then. He was king while he was ministering on earth. But now that he's alive and ascended to God's right hand, he continues to conduct these offices, prophet, priest, and king, to his people. And with all the authority that is ascribed to him, remember what he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And at God's right hand, as the head of the church, as the head of the body, he is actively ministering as prophet, priest, and as king. And it is very profitable for us to think in terms that Jesus satisfies the soul. Now, this gets into emotions. It gets into the experience that the Christian has with his Lord or her Lord. It gets right into the recesses of our hearts, our affections, as the Puritans put it, of what we feel inside as a Christian. Now, true gospel preaching is objective. It's not subjective. The feelings come as the result of the truth, And this is where we differ from the charismatics and the Pentecostals. The ministry of the charismatic is straight to the emotions. The gospel is the ministry of preaching Christ in his fullness, in his work, his ministry, what he does for us, and leading the believer into a comprehension and a personal enjoyment of that faithful ministry of the Savior within the soul. The Bible is clear on the existence of human life in the womb. Science is also clear that life takes place in the womb at the point of fertilization. And I have a few quotes here from Princeton Education Pro-Life Articles almost all higher animals start their lives from a single cell, the fertilized ovum. The time of fertilization represents the starting point in the life history or ontogeny of the individual. Although life is a continuous process, fertilization is a critical landmark because under ordinary circumstances, a new genetically distinct human organism is thereby formed. The combination of 23 chromosomes present in each pronucleus results in 46 chromosomes in the Zogote. Thus, the diploid number is restored and the embryonic genome is formed. The embryo now exists as a genetic unity. Now, that's the science behind it all. And the Bible speaks of the child in the womb as of full human value. In Exodus twenty-one, twenty-two, we read that if men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according to the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any mischief follow, meaning the child dies, then thou shalt give life for life. Our Canadian judge could not identify the moment of the gestational spectrum when a fetus becomes a body of a child. Let him read the Bible. Exodus 21 or Psalm 139 will do it. It is never right to take life out of convenience to cover up wrong choices. I read a pro-life poster saying, Abortion has never been about choice. It's about escaping the consequences of your choices by taking all choices away from another human being. The problem is that two wrongs do not make a right. And so it is best to face the sin that led to the creation of the unwanted pregnancy and do the right thing by supporting the life that is in the womb. In this society, there is no such thing as an unwanted child as there are thousands on long lists waiting to adopt a child into loving and caring families. If your circumstances do not allow you to keep the child in your womb, then allow some couple to be parents to the child you may not be able to keep. Lastly, let me say that there is mercy with God for those who come to see the crime of their previous abortion, and many do. Guilt is a terrible thing to live with, and guilt always catches up with anyone who chooses abortion. That life you carried in the womb is a fact, and an eternal fact that that child was created in the image of God. And only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from the sin of killing that child in the womb. Praise God, there is mercy for you through repentance unto life. The Lord Jesus said, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven you. But until you acknowledge that abortion is sin and confess it to the Lord, you will carry that load of guilt to your grave and on into eternity. How shall you do at the judgment seat of Christ? Today the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But without repentance on the judgment day, he will say, Depart from me, ye cursed. I trust that you will choose life, not only for your infant in the womb, but life for your soul by turning to Christ as your Savior who can save you from all sin. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We are on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view our to our online services at 10:30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the home page of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 187- 9058 Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on One Eighty Eight Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m. here on the station as we Let the Bible Speak.